the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 23. Our justification. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? And that's a reference to the 12 articles of our faith that we've been going through in the previous Lord's Days. In Christ, I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments, I've never kept any of them and am still inclined to all evil. Yet God without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart." Why do you say that you're righteous only by faith? Not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a question that I want you to seriously consider this afternoon. Are we sinners or are we saints? Some of you may think that that's an easy question to answer. Many of you would likely respond, we're both. The Bible offers much evidence to prove that we are sinful people. The Lord anointed David as king because he was a man after God's own heart. Yet David acknowledges that by nature he was a sinful man. David confesses in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Not only was David conceived and born in sin, he also committed great sins in his life. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband Uriah to try cover up his sin. Psalm 51 is a song of repentance, where David cries out for God to be merciful to him and to forgive his sins. From this, we could conclude, we're all sinful people. The Bible also presents a different picture of who we are. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to suffer and die for our sins through his death on the cross. It makes it clear that in Christ we are righteous before God. That because of Christ's atoning work, God looks at us as if we never had nor committed any sin. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes that we should no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul is saying is that while we were sinners, we've been made righteous and holy through the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. So I come back to the question I began with. Are we sinners or are we saints? What is our position, our status before God? How do you, dear brother, dear sister, see yourself? If you see yourself as a sinner, if that stands in the forefront of how you think about yourself, you've got some problems. Your first problem is theological. Doesn't it make any difference to you that Christ suffered and died on the cross for your sins? Don't you believe that his atoning sacrifice is, to, is sufficient to pay for your sins, to make you righteous before God? Your second problem is a more practical one. If you view yourself as a sinner, aren't you building an excuse into your life for living in an ungodly way? I'm a sinner. I can't help but fall into such and such sin. In effect, that attitude denies that in Christ we are a new creation. It undermines the power of the Spirit to effect repentance and real change in our lives. This afternoon, we're going to talk about our justification. That's the title above Lord's Day 23. The central question we'll focus on this afternoon is, how are we made right with God? We'll see that this is not through our own works, but rather through God's grace in Jesus Christ. We can only make Christ's righteousness our own by faith, by truly believing the promises of the gospel, We'll see how through a living faith in Jesus' suffering and death for our sins, we may live in full assurance of sharing in the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Christ makes us right with God so that we may live in full assurance of faith. We'll see how we are made right with God through Christ, how we share in Christ's righteousness through faith, and how we may live in the full assurance of faith. The focus of Lord's Day 23 is on our justification. Justification is a big word. It describes God's act of declaring or making a sinner righteous through Christ. In the Bible, the terms justification and righteousness are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. Now, to explain this, it's helpful to use the example of a courtroom. 
We all know what happens when someone is accused of a serious crime. They're brought into a court of law, and the Crown Attorney presses charges against them. A person can plead guilty and face the penalty for their crime. Yet many times people plead not guilty. They're represented by a lawyer who tries to prove that they didn't do the crime or that in some way they were not responsible for it. Witnesses may be called, evidence is given, and at the end, the judge will make a judgment. He can declare them guilty or declare them not guilty of their crime. Something similar happens to all people spiritually. God is the righteous judge of all the earth. We, by nature, are sinful people. When we examine our lives according to the standards God has set for us in his law, we are all guilty of many sins. When we appear before God's judgment seat, we deserve to be punished for our sins. Yet Jesus Christ serves as our defense attorney. Now, Christ cannot tell God that we didn't commit any sins. Instead, he offers a different defense before God's heavenly throne. He says, I have suffered your judgment against this person's sins. I have borne your wrath against his or her, on his or her behalf by dying on the cross. Because of this, when God makes a judgment in our case, he declares us not guilty. Justification is God's act of declaring a sinner righteous through Christ. What we, need to, what we need to recognize, beloved, is that we in no way deserve this. By nature, we're all sinful people. In our lives, we all sin against God and our neighbor repeatedly. Paul makes this point clear in Romans 3. He writes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Why do we act in that way? Why is it that every day again we say and do things that we know are wrong? Why do we repeatedly violate God's commands and grieve him with our sins? The root problem is that we have a sinful nature. By nature, our hearts are corrupt. You know what happens when you have a polluted well? It brings forth polluted water. By nature, we're inclined to all evil. Even though God has come to work new life in our hearts by his Holy Spirit, our sinful nature still remains. And so day after day, we're tempted to sin. And we often fall into sin. In thought and word and deed, we transgress God's holy commandments. There are times when certain sins become so commonplace in our lives that we don't even really recognize them as sin anymore. If you habitually swear, you get to the point where you don't even think about it 
anymore. We all have a tendency of being self-centered. And at times we trample over others to get what we want, even without realizing how much we hurt those around us. At times our pride, our impatience, or anger can have a very detrimental effect on others. And yet we can be completely oblivious to our flaws and to the impact they have on those around us. There's also times, beloved, when we knowingly sin. The thought flashes through our mind. What I'm thinking about doing is wrong. I shouldn't do it. But we also have good excuses for our sins. It's not really that bad. Or everyone's doing it. Or what does it really hurt? There's times when we're good at turning a blind eye to our sins. There's times when we minimize or trivialize our sins, making them seem less than they are. We can get pretty good at lying to ourselves to give us an excuse to do what we want to do. There's also times when we say or do things that are impossible to minimize or to ignore. At times we sin in such a way that our conscience accuses us. Our conscience is a self-observing, self-judging capacity that enables us to judge our actions, our words, our thoughts and feelings. It's like an inner voice that speaks up telling us the difference between what's right and wrong. Our conscience can warn us not to do something we're considering because it's wrong. It can also accuse us when we've done something wrong, giving us an uncomfortable, an anxious, a guilty feeling. There are times when our conscience forces us to confront the fact that we have grievously sinned against the Lord and against our neighbor. Our sin now forms a barrier in our relationship with God. We can react in different ways when our conscience accuses us of sinning against God. God has given us a conscience to prevent us from sinning or to call us to repentance. But we don't always listen well. At times we push away that nagging thought that what we're doing is wrong. We try to silence that inner voice so we can go ahead and do what we want to do. If we repeatedly sin in a specific way, we can sear our conscience by stifling its warnings and muffling its bell. We can get to the point where our conscience no longer bothers us. See, beloved, grieving the Holy Spirit can lead to resisting Him. And resisting the Spirit can lead to quenching the Spirit. Yeah, beloved, when the Catechism speaks, it doesn't speak to those who reject God and His gracious work in their lives. The Catechism is addressing us, believers. It speaks to those who belong to Jesus Christ with body and soul. It speaks to those who are willing to be instructed by God's holy word. 
Thus, when the Catechism speaks about our conscience, it's speaking about the conscience of the children of God. And what has our conscience got to say about our righteousness before God? Does it recognize us as being inherently righteous? Certainly not. For by nature we are not righteous. In the Catechism we confess, my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to all evil. At times I'm unwilling to live according to God's holy law because I put myself first. Other times I am willing, but unable. I do the very things I don't want to do. There may be victories, and there should be progress in the struggle of faith. Yet the basic sinful inclination is still there. Beloved, our conscience makes clear that if we had to appear before the judgment seat of God on the basis of our own merits, we would stand condemned. So do you know how we are justified? How we are declared righteous before God? It's through God's grace in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews addresses this matter in chapter 10. He compares the work of the priests of the Old Covenant with the work of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the priests offered sacrifices day by day. These sacrifices were meant to atone for the people's sins. Yet they could never truly pay for sin. In effect, all they did was point forward to the coming Messiah who would truly save us from our sins. Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. By that one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah 31 to make clear the effect of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. Because of it, God says, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. When God forgives our sins, they're truly forgiven. He no longer holds them against us. We see that the Lord Jesus came into this world as a sin offering. He came into the world as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Peter puts it this way. He says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Beloved, when we have repented from our sins and confessed them before God, He forgives. When God forgives, the slate is wiped clean. Our catechism expresses beautifully how we are made into a new creation. It says that God grants Christ's righteousness and holiness to me as if I never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. When God looks at us, it's as if we had never sinned. 
It's as if we had lived our lives in perfect obedience to the will of God. Having been made, having been justified, made righteous by Christ, God views us as people who have never sinned against him. And beloved, this is not just something that the catechism teaches. Please remember the catechism is based on what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul speaks to the church members about how in their previous life they were guilty of all kinds of sin and rebellion against God. They were idolaters, sexually immoral, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers. But that's not the end of the story. Paul writes, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Christ, God drew near to a people lost in their sins. God washed away their sins in Christ. He justifies us, declaring us not guilty of wrongdoing. He made us holy through the powerful working of his Spirit. All the work of God by grace alone. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see how we share in Christ's righteousness by faith. Through his grace in Christ, God gives his people an indescribably rich gift. Righteousness in Christ. The result is that instead of being condemned to hell, our sins are forgiven us, and we're heirs of life everlasting. But how can we make this gift our own? Our catechism summarizes the Bible's answer. It says, Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, God's work of grace in Jesus Christ does not apply to all people. God will not declare all people not guilty when they appear before his throne. Not everyone is justified. Why not? Because there are many who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There are many who, having heard the good news of salvation, reject it. There are many who cannot accept salvation as a free gift, but who think that they can earn or merit favor with God through their own good works. Yeah, there's only one way to be saved. By true faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. John teaches us this clearly in John 3, 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Thus we see that while our justification is given to us by God in his grace, it needs to be appropriated by us through faith. We can receive the rich gift of grace God grants us. We can make it our own by faith alone. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes the need for a living faith in Jesus Christ. 
He speaks about how Christ has opened the way to God for us through his flesh offered on the cross. Then he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're called to draw near to God. It's a call to live in intimate fellowship with God our Father. We're called to come before him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. A true heart is a sincere heart, one devoted to God, one reliant on him. The writer of Hebrews contrasts true faith with a lack of faith in the verses that follow. He writes, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. You see, beloved, saying you have faith is not the same as living in faith. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you'll submit your heart and your life to Him. You'll trust in Him to provide all your needs. You'll acknowledge that God's way and not your own way is best for your life. You'll be willing to submit to God's good commandments instead of walking in sinful ways. See, beloved, faith which doesn't love God and His Son, Jesus Christ, isn't faith. Faith which is inactive isn't faith. Faith which continues on its own way isn't faith. Faith that continues in deliberate sin isn't faith. Faith which doesn't produce good fruit isn't faith. Faith which doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't faith. Faith which only thinks about myself and my desires isn't faith. Faith that doesn't trust in God isn't faith. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that you have faith and that you share in Christ's righteousness if you don't have a living and an active faith. The writer of Hebrews warns of the severe punishment that will come on those who go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. He says that for such people, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. He asks, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. He warns about God's vengeance, about how he will punish the unrepentant. He says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Now, you might be wondering, why is our pastor making such a big point about the need for a living faith? Beloved, it's because there are times when we live in smug complacency. It's so easy to adopt the attitude that we're God's children and God loves us and that anyone who's a church member is going to be saved. It's so easy to buy into a sermon about how we're all justified by grace alone and to think that how we live is of little consequence for our salvation. It's easy for us to claim forgiveness for our sins in the blood of Christ while living in unrepentant sin. The doctrine of justification has often been called the heart of the Reformed faith. Beloved, it is an incredibly rich treasure. Just think of how Jesus Christ was willing to suffer and to die in your place. How Jesus bore God's infinite wrath to pay for all your sins. How God in Christ is willing to declare all his children not guilty of their sins, to grant them freedom and life now and forevermore. Glorious riches made available to each one of us if we only take hold of them by faith. If we truly believe the gospel and live out of it. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has suffered and died for your sins? Are you living close to God and thankful for his abundant grace in Christ? Beloved, is it showing in your life? If so, give thanks to God. But if not, then repent before it's too late. This brings us to our final point. How we may live in full assurance of faith. Sometimes when questions get asked about whether or not we have a living faith in Jesus Christ, it can cause us to doubt whether or not we are saved. That's appropriate for those who are living in unrepentant sin. But it can create doubts in the hearts of those who truly believe in Jesus Christ, but who struggle with sin. It can create uncertainty in the hearts of those who are going through hard times and who sometimes struggle to depend on God for all they need. The writer to the Hebrews reminds God's people of earlier times when they faced persecution and underwent great suffering. At times they were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions and at times they stood side by side with those who were thus treated. They had compassion on those in prison. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property, since they knew they had a a better and a lasting inheritance. These Christians had endured much for the sake of the gospel, 
Through it all, they held fast their faith in Jesus Christ. On the basis of this, the writer of Hebrews encourages these Christians, and through them also us, to persevere in our faith in Christ Jesus. He writes, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Here he encourages us to be confident in all the rich promises God has made to us in his word. He wants us to be confident in Jesus Christ and his redeeming work. For believing that Christ has paid the price for my sins allows me to share in the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. What you need to understand, beloved, is that life has its ups and its downs. At times, our faith in Jesus Christ can be firm and strong. At other times, our faith can be weak and we can be filled with doubts. There are times when we may enjoy many blessings from God's hand. But there's also times when we're faced with great struggles and difficulties. When we walk through the hard times for long enough, often causes questions to arise in our hearts. Where is God? And why is God allowing so much hardship and suffering in my life? Has God forsaken me? Adversity and hardship often cause us to face struggles and doubts in our faith. Do you know how the writer to the Hebrews responds to this? He says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You need to persevere in your faith, believing God's promises to be true. And doing the will of God that you may share in Christ's blessings. Please note, beloved, that the writer of Hebrews encourages us to trust and obey. That's what faith is ultimately all about. Trusting God's promises and obeying his will. The writer of Hebrews continues to speak about how in a little while, God will fulfill his promise, and how Christ will come again. He points to the glorious inheritance that's in store for all those who embrace Christ with a living faith. He writes about how my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He concludes... But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Is it possible for us, beloved, to live in full assurance of faith? Can we be sure Christ has suffered and died on the cross for my sins? And that in him God has declared me not guilty of my sins? Can we be sure that we will remain in the faith and share in life with God on new heavens and a new earth? Ultimately, the answer to this question depends on where you're at in your relationship with God. 
depends on whether you're trusting and obeying or if you're living in unrepentant sin. As we've seen earlier, God's judgment rests on all who do not repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. But what if I trust and obey? But don't always feel the assurance of faith in my heart. How do I know if God has granted me the righteousness and holiness of Christ? How can I be sure that God will preserve me to the end, that I may share in life eternal? Beloved, there's three ways in which we may be assured of this. First, God's word promises this. In John 10, Jesus promises his sheep, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. In Romans 8, Paul speaks about how nobody and nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second, the Holy Spirit works the assurance of faith in our hearts. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, the Spirit himself works in our hearts that we would be assured that we are God's redeemed and renewed children. Finally, a godly lifestyle confirms our good standing with God. In Matthew 7, Jesus teaches that a tree is known by its fruits, and that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. James 2 teaches us that the fruits of faith are evidence that we have faith. Thus, beloved, the true children of God may know that God's grace and love are theirs in Christ Jesus. We have been delivered from the wrath of God by the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God declares us not guilty of our sins. The result is that in God's eyes, we're righteous and holy. Not because of our merits, but by grace in Christ. If you have been washed in Christ's blood and renewed by his spirit, God does not view you as a miserable sinner. You are his redeemed saint. This doesn't mean that we're not sinful people or that we don't need forgiveness of our sins or the ongoing renewal of the Spirit. We do. And yet, we have an exalted position before God, a glorious standing through Christ's redeeming work. We are saints, people made holy by Christ. You are saints, beloved. Now go and live as such. 
Amen.